Welcome to the Alien Probe Podcast. On Christmas Day 1945 in the Appalachians, a devastating fire broke out at the residence of George and Jenny Sauter at around 1 a.m. Four of the ten Sauter children survived. One had been away fighting the war, but the other five disappeared from the house the night of the incident. Not a trace of any of their remains turned up in the aftermath, although authorities ruled the cause as faulty wiring, mysterious occurrences in the days and hours leading up to the disaster, plus evidence of sabotage at the Sauter house, suggests something far more sinister than an accidental house fire. Today joining me is Deb. How's it going, Deb? It's going good, Doug. My chair's still squeaking. Um, you know, what have you been up to? You've been you've been away for a few weeks. Dr. Bill has pushed Dr. Bill's pushed you out your slot. Hey, Dr. Bill's doing a good job. I've got <laughs> things to do. And we've been we've been furniture shopping, we've been buying new chairs for the living room. We've got important things to do around here. <laughs> <laughs> Annabelle sneezing. The dog sneezing. We're joined by another dog here. So, uh, you can't tell me five children could burn up in that little house like that and there nothing would be left. No, this is a strange story. This is, you know, the, the mom searched and searched um, for these children, and, you know, it's a house fire. A house fire shouldn't um, make children disappear. So let's let's talk about the story. So members of the Sauter family, um, members of the Sauter family survived were George and Jenny, the parents, John twenty three, George Junior sixteen, Marion seventeen, Sylvia three, Joseph or Joe twenty one was away at the army. So. Um, what do you think? What, what do you think's going on here? Well, the the five of them disappeared. Were Maurice, Martha, Lewis, Jenny, and Betty. They were 14, 12, 9, 8, and 5. Those children just just disappeared. I mean, how how does that happen when um, the rest of them escaped? But these, there was no remains. There's no um, no sign of them. So um, we start out with the the story starts in Fayetteville, West Virginia. Um, but George Sauter and his anti-fascist views. Anti-fascist. Anti-fascist. Because um, we're in 1908 here. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. They, they, they came to West Virginia in 1908 from Sardinia. And most of the community knew the Sauters as a respectable, upstanding family. Um, George immigrated from Sardinia in 1908. And the, by the age of 50, he owned a truck hauling business. Uh, at the time of the disappearance, World War II had just ended on December 2nd, 1945. Uh, only eight months prior, communist partisans had killed fascist dictator Benito Mussolini, yeah. which left the Italians highly divided. Supporters of Mussolini were outraged. George was politically outspoken and held strong anti-fascist views about Mussolini, and consequently, he had engendered bitter distrust amongst those of his fellow Italian immigrants who loved the Italian leader. So we're thinking at this point that maybe something shady happened at the hands of others in the town because he was... He wasn't liked. Yeah, he just generally wasn't liked because of political views. So it looked like in the months leading to the fire, a few strange encounters took place and an un there was an unknown man that approached George at his home, says he was looking for work. After George told him he didn't need any workers, the man looked up at the fuse box outside and said, this is going to cause a fire someday. And um, the remark seemed odd since George recently had the power supply checked and checked the electrical wires all checked out fine. Um, another notable visit took place at the Sauter house just weeks before a, a local salesman tried to sell life insurance to them. What's it? I don't know what this house is. It's pretty. It know, seems pretty remote, and yet they the, got a lot. They got, they a, lot got of a lot of people just, rolling up on them. Stopping <laughs> by. <laughs> Upon George, look, so somebody tried to sell him insurance, and George refused, and the exasperated salesman threatened, "Your goddamn house is going to go up in smoke." You know, as a salesman, that's yeah. a really good technique. I know. That's I, you know that excuse is. Excuse me. I'll go ahead and buy that. Life oh, never mind. Now. Let me go ahead and get it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and your children are going to be destroyed. 
You're going to be paid for the dirty remarks you have been making about Mussolini. Um, yeah, well, you know, that's just... That, that's, that's a typical insurance salesman. That's, you know, how they usually work. Not about giving you a gift and, you know, asking you to buy insurance. Well, yeah, they'll close the deal. So just before Christmas, the older Sauter boys saw a suspicious car parked along Highway 21 for a few days in a row. And then the man inside the car was kind of watching the Sauter children. So to check Megan's list for that guy. Yeah, I know. No kidding. And then um, the night before Christmas was frigidly cold. Jenny and George Sauter were ready to turn in for the evening with three-year-old Sylvia at about 1030. So I think Sylvia sleeps with the parents. I thought she was two. Was she She's three. three. She's three. That's the right the baby is three. Okay. Um, the oldest brought home some toys from the dime store where she worked and gave them to the younger kids for, you know, it's Christmas Eve. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, of course, they got to stay up a little bit later to play with their new toys. Um, and then, of course, she reminded Maurice and Lewis that before you go to bed, Shut the kitchen. Shut the chicken coop and feed the cow. Shut the chicken coop. Shut the damn cows. chicken coop or the fox will get it. God, it's all we can do to take dogs out to pee. I know, that's, yeah. And then um, about midnight, Jenny got a phone call, and when she answered, it was a woman that asked for an unknown name. And she said, Jenny, of course, later said that the woman had a really weird laugh and that there were others laughing and clinking glasses in the background. Because, again, it's Christmas Eve. And Jenny told the wrong lady she had the wrong number and didn't think much about it. And then everything's quiet. Marianne's asleep on the couch. And Jenny noticed um, a bunch of doors were unlocked. The curtains were open, which the children are supposed to do before they go to bed. For some reason... And they, they got to do that, too. they got to do the hey, chicken coop. they got to milk the feed. There are ten children. <laughs> Can you imagine... Taking care of that, 10 children. It's a crew. They all, you don't have to do anything. You just send them all out to do so it. So Jenny went up and locked up, you know, went ahead and locked up, closed the shades, did this children's work. And it was Christmas Eve, you know, you can't get yeah. a break. Um, she assumed, you know, the children are asleep in the attic. They must be everywhere in that house with, with 10 of them. Oh, it's a big house. She went to bed. And about a half an hour after that, she woke up and said she heard something hit the roof like a rubber ball. It's kind of like the storm here where we heard something, you know, bouncing down the <laughs> Bouncing down the roof. <laughs> Didn't it sound like something? Oh, yeah, there was so storm. many things with that last windstorm. <laughs> Probably neighbors flying around. Um, she didn't pay much attention, went back to sleep, and then another half hour, she woke up and smelled some smoke. George and Jenny, with the baby, the three-year-old, and Mary and John and George all got out. Unfortunately, the staircase to the attic had begun to fill up with fire. Oddly, when the Sodders yelled up to the attic, they heard no response from the younger children. Now, I think, as a parent, I mean, if the if the stairs are burned down, I don't go up. But if they're filled with smoke, I go up. Yeah, you go get you know, the kids. I would just, you know, put the towel over their head. I go up and yeah. I look for my children. But they didn't. They ran to the bottom of the stairs. Well, I guess they figured they had a lot of kids. And, yeah. Well, they didn't like get over these though. They kept looking for them. Yeah. Um, they yelled and yelled, um, and then two of the boys came stumbling down with their hair all singed by the flames, and that was it. That's the, the only kids that, that showed up. And then um, as George is trying to rescue the kids, um, he remembered that there was a ladder that they always kept leaning on the side of the house. So that, he, sounds like, well, that sounds like me. I don't want to move it. How long has the ladder didn't been down by the pergola? I know. Yeah, I know. I'll get to that in a minute, but I'm going to leave the ladder here. You realize you can no longer lift that ladder because it, weeds have grown into the ground <laughs> now. So, hey, the weather's better now. Okay, so I'll get it. The, I'll put it up Hopefully the solders kept a little better care of their ladders. So he went to that ladder, and it was gone. Um, it, the ladder had, it was, um, they found it later. No, they found it later lying in a, ditch down the road from the house somebody stole yeah. it well i guess somebody stole it but they didn't you know steal it steal it they just moved that's it. so you know that's kind of weird maybe it's one of those irresponsible kids who can't manage to close the windows before they go to they bed. were too busy feeding the cows and you know milking the chickens or whatever <laughs> so now marion tries to call the fire department her phone doesn't work <laughs> she, she has to run to a neighbor's house to call and even then, an operator wasn't available. The operators are, you know, well, it's Christmas Eve. Eventually, a good Samaritan 
got in touch with but a fire station. Shouldn't an operator be, aren't they supposed to be always always yeah. there? But then some good Samaritan, we don't even talk about who this is, got in touch with a fire station from a phone in town. And then George tried again to re-enter the burning house by um, driving his work truck to the side and climbing over the top of them to the other window. He's, he, now the trucks won't start. <laughs> Neither of his trucks would start. So Wow. Um, you know, somebody pulled the somebody pulled the distributor wire or something. Their house burned to the ground in 45 minutes. Holy shit. So what did they find after the fire? Well, the firefighters got there around 7 a.m. Wait, this that when this did this start? Midnight. This was all in the middle of the night. But the firefighters didn't get there till 7 a.m. Yeah. around and it started midnight. So where's the fire department? The only people like taking seven hours. The only people that can find the house or stay Wait, the good, What time did the Good Samaritan call in? They don't say a time. It just says that her phone wouldn't work. So she tried to call the fire department. Oh, they didn't say a time. No. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Okay. And then um, at that point, you know, got rubble and hot ashes. And then they searched and searched for children until 11 a.m., but nothing turned up. Uh, state police figured that the blaze was started due to faulty wiring, but later withdrew that statement. Then Fayetteville Fire Chief F.J. Morris conducted a thorough investigation and found nothing to contradict the ruling of faulty wires, nor any evidence of bodies. Uh, the funeral home owner, Charles Payne, went to the site the next day to collect bodies, but there were none. And years later, his wife, Velma, Velma. commented, Velma, of course it's Velma. It seems to be a mystery. Uh, days after the blaze, the coroner put together an inquest consisting of a jury that would determine the cause of the fire. Interestingly, I love this part, one of the jury members was the man who told George his children would be destroyed and his house would burn down. Well, no, isn't that a conflict of interest? And Maybe today, you just didn't mention that when they did the screening. Well, but, I mean, was George did not you, aware of who was determining his I don't fate? think you're there. I don't... Yeah. When they're picking the jury, you're not there. And then sure. you get there, and you're sitting there, you're going, what? Wait. I mean, Lisa, wait a minute. Don't you threaten me. George would have been allowed to testify in front of the jury. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I've never heard of a jury to find a cause. I I always think, you know, their job is guilty or not guilty, not how did something happen. Um, that guy was probably the foreman, too. But shockingly, the jury um, also ruled that faulty wiring caused the fire. However, the solders did not. So the agree. jury ruled. The jury ruled that the faulty wires caused. So they had an fire. investigation and people and witnesses. Well, it'd be just like a trial, but you know, people would, I assume, come forward with evidence. They must have been, you know, shown evidence. But the solders did not agree. It occurred to them that the house lights remained on for some time as they watched their home burn down. Oh God, that's horrific. So they watched it. So it had nothing to do with the wire. Well. Yeah, you could have faulty wiring and still and still lights. in one part of the house, the other house could have lights on. Right. I but this, I mean, his fuse box this is nineteen forty-five or whatever. I don't know. And well, and they've been here since nineteen oh eight. But he said he just had it inspected, and we know inspectors never. <laughs> we won't. Yeah, I don't think we're supposed <laughs> to talk about that. Um, but George had just recently replaced the old wiring to install a new electric stove. Look at there, they're fancy. Oh wow. Well, I got um, a trillion kids. I got to cook a lot of food. Oh, my God. How much food you'd have to cook. It's a full-time job. Food um, and laundry. Yeah, the solders were just questioning this faulty wiring explanation. You know, they they still didn't believe it. So um, what else happened? So we have um, some other suspicious events that happened around the house. Um, a telephone repairman informed them that someone had cut the phone lines. That could be a that could be the reason Marion couldn't phone out. Well, yeah, the that phone lines could, were cut. Could be the reason. Instead of you know they thought that the phone lines were burned. Well, they didn't have cell phones. Oh, Not I yet. see. Yeah, they thought that they were burned, but then it turned out that they were cut. A neighbor saw a man stealing a block and tackle at the Sauter's place while the fire was raging. Oh, that's just a dick move. Um, Where do these people come from? I know. I think of this. <laughs> they got the insurance salesman. They got the guy looking for work. They got this guy stealing his block. I mean, this place is happening. And I mean, you're on fire, and people are stealing your shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's good cover. God. Come on, you know. 
Police later arrested the man, and he admitted that he climbed up and cut the phone wires, but he thought he'd cut the electrical cables. Why did he want to cut their electrical cables? Why did he want to cut anything? I know, but it appears he cut the phone wires instead. No one knows anything about what this arrest or why the police didn't, you know, follow up. Follow up. The dude is obviously involved in this whole thing, and it's like, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was... I, what, I thought it was one wire and I cut the other one. Oh, okay. Well, I, now we get it. Okay. Never mind. Free to go. You're free to go. You're good. <laughs> Another witness was a bus driver working the late shift, said he saw balls of great balls of fire landing on the So road. they must be in a busy part of town or something. But then you also tracking I mean, the pictures that we saw looks Look, like we're rural. Like, <laughs> looks like they're rural, but there's a bus driving by. Yeah, but he saw he saw balls of balls fire. Balls of great balls of fire. fire landing on the roof. And now um and at this point they're thinking arson. Um then came some more witnesses saying we saw the solder children. Oh. So there were a few sightings of the solder children that were reported. Um, one girl claimed to have seen the children in a car driving away as the fire raged. So, okay, there are people all around this. This girl, you know, saw five children in a car and didn't. <laughs> Nothing. And, yeah, that's weird. And then someone working in a motel about 50 miles outside of Fayetteville claimed Fayetteville. to have seen the children the day after the blaze. And then in a Charleston hotel, a woman said she saw the kids check in along with two women and two men of Italian heritage. Whoa, how'd she tell? Were they just like swarthy? Dark? You can tell. You you know, could, they, were they were carrying pepperoni. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Our Italian listeners are not going to appreciate that remark. Well, how is this woman profiling <laughs> these men? Their breath smelled like yeah. something. The, you know? <laughs> and um, the, it's her, we're going to get says, offed. Her quote was, just listen to me. The quote okay. is, just stop talking. You're saying bad things. Her, her account, she's quoted as saying, the children were accompanied by two women and two men, all of Italian extraction. I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the men appeared hostile and refused to allow me to talk to these children. One of the men looked at me in a hostile manner. He turned around and began talking rapidly in Italian. Oh, now, see, now that, okay, I get. Now we know why they're okay. Italian. You're talking Italian, okay. She could have, could have led with could that. Led with, yeah. And then a missionary saw a picture of the children in the paper and claimed that he saw the children in a house in Cortez, Florida. Boy, they're getting around. That's just down the, down the coast. A private detective who investigated this lead said that they were definitely there. But we're gone. They <laughs> were there, but they were gone. There, but we're gone. And we have no idea where Apparently, they went. Apparently, five different people saw these children in Cortez. And they're just chilling, huh? Ah, I guess I'm away from my family. Well, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, in the 40s, I don't know how, you know, how do you get in touch with somebody? They don't got a phone now because, you know, the phone lines are cut. So, what are you going <laughs> to do? Use a pay phone. <laughs> Reattach them and take some phone calls. Um, so what about Jenny? So Jenny, Jenny's searching for some she's clues. She's searching for answers. Oh, Jenny did some experiments. She got her some animal bones. Well, she's a scientist now. She got her some animal bones and she put them in the wood stove, trying her best to get them to burn down. She was unable to reduce them to ashes. Yeah, do you well, realize, this, when this you is, do a cremation, do you realize how hot that oven is? I mean, it's... Yeah, that, well, even in a cremation, you get chunks. You don't get your yeah. ashes. yeah. Um, and so then Jenny read about another house fire in the newspaper where the house burned down and killed seven family members. She knew she was on to somebody, something, because <laughs> investigators there recovered the remains of all seven bodies in that rubble. So at this point, I'm thinking they're, they were taken. What well, do you yeah. think? I, obviously, they were taken. I mean, there's no way that you're going to. I mean, she said she, Jenny, when now she's talking to a crematorium worker. Well, she had just, are there no police officers oh, no, around? Jenny's, Jenny's Any detectives? You know, we got Aunt, Mom, Mama Jenny, you know, having well, to go do her own police her, work. Well, they've already determined it's faulty wiring and your kids burn. They don't care. Yeah, most of her kids gone. Got, she's got a lot of time on her hands. You got 10, you lost half. That's, you know. Um, the crematorium guy said that even at 2,000 degrees for two hours, you still have bones. Um, you were right. You just said that. Yeah. Well, you know. I've How seen, do you know that? I've watched a lot of crime oh, shows. Oh, okay. That's right. CSI. Um, 
at September 11th attacks um, at Ground Zero, there were still human remains after the jet fuel fires. And so there's no way that, you know, a 45-minute electrical fire is going yeah. to... Um, oh, it left appliances still, you know, intact, but the children were incinerated. So now George and Jenny, they hire their own private investigator, C.C. Tinsley. C.C. C.C. Tinsley. He heard that Fire Chief Morris told some folks he found a heart at the scene and buried it in a dynamite box. <laughs> <haunt. laughs> uh, you don't say. The detective contacted Morris and convinced the chief to show him the heart. Oh, everything. Yeah. yeah, no, they convinced the chief to show him the heart. Together they went to the site and they dug it up. Tinsley took the orchid to a funeral director. <laughs> this is hard. It was a chunk of beef liver. Now, why in the Oh, hell? that's a waste of beef liver right there, too. Well, why they in need the food. hell would you put a, put a heart in a box and bury it in the goddamn yard? This is stupid. <laughs> so now, George sent the liver to Washington <laughs> to test it. <laughs> and that document confirmed. Can you think UPS? UPS. Can you pack this liver? This organ's never been in a fire, because you know what? It'd be cooked. If it was in a fire, which yeah. indicate Morris placed it there sometimes later. Why? Rumors circulated that Morris <laughs> admitted to a few folks he staged the organ in the rubble to pacify the solders. Oh, yeah. Like, this is going to get them to stop investigating. Evidently the so there again, another person that's clearly involved in this <laughs> kidnapping. And can we... Or he just arrest wants, him. He just wants to shut George Sodom Maybe the hell quit, up. quit Jenny's whining, I guess. Huh? Yeah, you can just stop your investigating. Stop people. investigating. Look, They're gone, okay? Your child's heart is in a box in a <laughs> field. What more do you They want? obviously expired <laughs> in the fire. Um, three months later, little baby Sylvia, who's three, right? She's playing in the rubble. <laughs> <laughs> just living there in a tent. No, they no, they visited their former home. Come on. He's playing in the rubble. Sylvia, they're they're visiting their former home, you know, searching for clues. And little Sylvie, she found a hollow green object made of hard rubber. No. <laughs> Stop. Never mind. It, it had a twist cap. Oh. And Sylvia wondered if that could have been the object that hit the roof. Remember, they had the, yeah, the ball on the uh, roof. Hard rubber, yeah. George took the strange item to the military officials. I guess we have military officials in the town. They told him it was an incendiary pineapple, more commonly known as a maypalm ball. Oh, everybody should have those. Um, so, yeah, it's, your kid's playing with a bomb now. Um, and now in 1949... They hired a pathologist from Washington, D.C., Dr. Oscar B. Hunter. Oscar. Oscar B. Hunter, Jr. Um, a few days after, after the fire, George had um, covered the basement remains with several feet of dirt because he planned to turn the site into a memorial for the children. Okay, so. Okay, wait. Okay, all right. Um, and then, uh, so Dr. Hunter um, came and es excavated the site and found some human vertebral vertebrae bones. <laughs> vertebral 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 bones. That's ver vertebrae. Um, and he sent these to the Smithsonian for some um, analysis. The and, Smithsonian Institution for analysis. Yeah, and they determined that the age of the bones was inconsistent with the solder children. Some other bones there. Obviously, the well, we don't care. Well, it's not the kids, but we don't really care what happened they showed, in this town. These bones showed no signs of charring um and more than likely these bones were in the filled dirt that he used to create his memorial Maybe, so did you know you get filled dirt it's got chunks of bone in it if i found some vertebrae what do you think you think the police would say anything or they'd be like yeah that's it's just filled dirt that, it, just it filled may dirt. have so when you bury a body in the backyard just say those bones came with the filled dirt god i mean the Neighbors are always getting dirt delivered. I bet they have bones all over that body, of that backyard. So it looks like Lewis Sauter was found, or they think? Well, then, in 68, the Sauters received a letter in the mail. It had a photo of a grown-up young man who kind of resembled Lewis Sauter. The postmark was from Kentucky. No return address. It was from the guy that cut the wires. <laughs> <laughs> Quit looking for him. He's I'm right not here. Sure which wires I cut. It's, Inside, God, there was a the message. Red wire. 
Lewis Sauter, I Love Brother Frankie, Lil Boys, and then A91032 or 35. It said that cryptic what? note, nobody, yeah. if they thought maybe it was a cruel prank, nobody really knows what it or means. Or it's a code that nobody on the planet could ever figure out. I don't know. But right. it was still another strange twist in this tale. For two decades following the fire, George and Jenny would receive leads in the form of photos, anecdotes from people who claimed to have heard information about the incident. However, none of these proved reliable and only further obscured the story. Really weird. It is. Um, In 1952, they put up a large billboard on Route 16 with pictures of the missing children and a $10,000 reward. This board remained for 37 years. Holy crap. In the end, they spent more than $15,000, which would be about two hundred grand today, on a slew of private investigators and travel expenses across the country during their search. Well, there's the billboard. There's, there's the, the, billboard the billboard with all the kids. George and Jenny. That's so sad, though. I mean, that is really sad. You know, it's one thing, you know, because back then you lost a lot of kids to death, but just, you know, the mystery is just, that's just a lot. A are lot to are we with. thinking this is a revenge on George Sauter? Well, there was some talk about that um evidence alludes to a sinister sinister criminal conspiracy everyone was aware several members of the Fayetteville Italian community had grievances with George uninvited visitors to their home foreshadowed what would eventually happen on Christmas Day it's possible remember that late night phone call that was to ensure that Jenny and George were awake to survive the impending fire I guess these people, you know, they have some conscience. They want, they want them to They live. want to kidnap your children, but they don't want to kill you. Um, also, well, then who's going to take care of the other five? Um, yeah. Surely cannot be a coincidence that the missing children's children were the ones who stayed up late to play. So I wonder if those kids were gone before, before the fire even started. Well, yeah, because remember she said that the doors and stuff were open, and she just assumed those kids were up in the attic. I mean, what if those children got, you know... What <laughs> if they got somebody climbing through the window just gathering up kids? Well, but because yeah, the one yeah. daughter, the oldest one was asleep on the couch. Okay. So if they took him out of the living room where those windows were open, you'd think... I mean, I don't know how big this house is. They don't give us really dimensions of, yeah. you know, were this was this a huge well, house? Well, if just, somebody's wandering around gathering children in the middle of the night and they don't make any noise, none of these weird. kids make any... None of these... T- you know, they took the they took the the middle. Yeah, the young in the middle. Yeah. And they didn't make any noise. I just envisioned them throwing sacks over their heads like you saw in those movies. Yeah. You know, just throwing a sack over their head. But even it. still, there's a. Yeah. I'm gonna take them out of the house. You know, that oldest one laying on the couch. Um, but it's weird that the kids didn't. You know, I guess kids are irresponsible. You know, not to close up the windows. That it's your job. Was next thing you're going to let the chickens out of there. playing with my toys that I got in the five and dime on the way home? Well, yeah, his sister brought them home to him. Um, The most logical conclusion is that people hostile to George Sauter wanted him to suffer a painful lesson for the rest of his life. In other words, the circumstances scream foul play. To this day, of course, this is who they always blame it on. The Italian mafia. (laughs) The Italian mafia. Because were they concerned about George talking shit about Mussolini. They didn't like it. George was anti-Mussolini and that's, you know, Yeah, back in the was... day, back in the 40s that was a big deal. Yeah, you don't you don't everything was hush hush and especially yeah. with Italians, you don't mess around. Yeah. And I get that. So, as of now, Sylvia Sauter Praxton is the last remaining member of the family. Um, her parents hoped that the story and memory of the children could remain alive. And Sylvia has faithfully organized a memorial meeting in Fayetteville every year. Oh, wow. Sylvia will be 77. George Sauter died in 1969 at the age of 73. Wow, they lived a long time. Jenny Sauter passed away in 89 at 85 and continued to grow flowers at the site where the children disappear. The parents vowed to search for their children in terms of their deaths, and they did. You know, it's a really sad story. And yeah, can you imagine? Yeah. Your kids just disappear in the middle of the night. And presumably because your husband just couldn't keep his political views well, to himself. Like, I mean, for the simple reason. 
That's, and, and even though it's probably back in that day, it's probably true. Okay, we're gonna, you know, we, we could think. disappear somebody very easily yeah. back then. There wasn't even, yeah. And and people just you know didn't ask a lot of questions because you know they'll just kill your children if you ask questions. So you know you get people to comment. They say you know I think that answer, they're probably in Italy and no one knows what and who knows what happened in Italy. You know George wouldn't talk about his youth. You know, he hadn't told his own brother because oh. his brother returned to Italy. Oh, wow. So was, they didn't communicate. No, uh, maybe wrote what happened in the journals of diary. Maybe there were some notes left in Italy about what happened. Um, maybe his brother picked the kids up and brought them back. Who knows? I mean, it was clearly done by multiple people. Yeah, because one person is going to gather a bunch of squirming, oh, yeah. screaming children. And it takes a lot to organize. Any, you know, these days... If something like this happens, somebody's going to talk. Right. But, you know, kids were you know, really obedient back in the 40s. Too. They're not like today's kids. Well, no. I mean, if an adult told a kid back then to do something, it's like, come here. I need you to do this right yeah. now. You know, kids really weren't. Um, they were much more scared of adults because you, know, you were allowed to smack them around. Take, um, yeah, it takes a lot of organizing and planning to head to, you know, to kidnap five children. Um, um, yeah. Um, everybody... I don't know. It looks like everybody was intended. This person saying everybody was intended to die in the fire, or at least the house burned down in the fire. But the children were not asleep. Well, you know, they they probably stayed up late. Um, yeah, to play with their, with their presents. Toys. It's Christmas Eve. Who can sleep on Christmas Eve? I and mean, they it were, doesn't sound like they had like the whole, you know, yeah. Christmas morning. You know, they, you know, this is. Yeah, they were awake a lot longer than yeah. I think everybody thought. And they caught the people that were trying to burn down the house. Yeah. Well, because they had to have heard, you know, something hit the roof with a loud noise and the mom heard it. Those kids in the attic would um, definitely hear that. You'd think that they would hear that sound and think, you know, ask, well, maybe make a noise. Yeah, it seems the telephone call, is, you know, the weird telephone call was to distract mom uh -huh. from hearing her scene. I don't know. It's pretty well orchestrated, I got to say, you know. Um, but the kidnappers likely would want to get rid of them as soon as possible. Well, yeah, you know? I mean, it's hard to travel with five kids and not be noticed um, if this thing was in the newspapers at all. Yeah. Um, Just, um, oh, you know, the, the thought that they were, you know, sold into human trafficking or sex trafficking. God. Oh my God. Yeah, no. That's a horrible yeah. thought. Um, um, and of course they took the easy, the, the five-year-old, wouldn't cause a scene and the you know 14 year old isn't strong enough to fight yeah and the bigger kids were left at home and the baby was in bed with the yeah parents and obviously they left the 16 the 17 the 23 because they would put up the biggest fight right two-year-old you know uh was in with the i think we determined. I they, th well it sounds like they took her to bed but there's there you know some somebody says that you know they couldn't they take two her or her. three well, it's Remember three. they said three earlier, yeah. but that yeah, was weird. You know, this at that point when you got ten, do you even know how old they are? They are? <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, that was me hitting the. Oh, I hit a fire. The, the thought that was the neighbors. They make our neighbors make a lot of noise. <laughs> um, that's so, interesting. So yeah, it's. And it, of course, you know, DNA now. Uh, if they were to put Sylvia into a database. It would be interesting to know, but, you know, those kids would be so old at this point that there's not likely that their DNA is going to be out there. But some of their descendants, maybe. Yeah, they're be. Well, it's like now you get, you know, you put yours in now and then you see. Oh, that would be so cool if you did your yeah. DNA and you had some, you know, if you were maybe related to them. Yeah. Um, so George's past in Italy is a complete mystery, right? Yeah. Um. A DNA search really couldn't really, you know, scare up anything. That would be so cool if they did start finding out. And this person here in 20 thinks that uh, uh, it definitely was the mafia. Oh, this isn't me saying the mafia that. for everything. Um, Dad was too outspoken. We, you know, we know he was outspoken about Mussolini. Right. So we're going to move on now to... Here's a story I know you're familiar with, the Elisa Lamb story. Oh, the hotel story. Yep, occurring in 2013. Elisa Lamb's death is also the first of our topics that delves into the possibility 
of the, I don't know if we'll have to, any time to go over topics, but we'll at least get Lisa Lamb and another one um, into the possibility of the supernatural. Topics. Oh, wow. Either way, the young 21-year-old is shrouded with mystery and demands a closer look. Well, this has been looked at a lot. I mean, there's some, you know. Have you, I, before this, I hadn't seen it, and then I saw it pop up the other day on well, a Well, we started we watching a movie about the Cecil Hotel. There's a lot of strange things that happen at the Cecil Hotel, and hers is um, the first episode in this. There's a Netflix series on some of this stuff that's pretty interesting. Um, she arrived at the Cecil Hotel on January 26th of 2013. She was going to Santa Cruz on a solo trip around the West Coast. That's pretty pretty brave for a young girl. Yeah. Um, a getaway from her studies at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, where she is originally from. Her family was nervous about her being so far from home, and she was always sure to ease their fears by calling them every night to tell them about her adventures and how all went well and according to plan, of course, until January 31st. After that date, she never contacted her family ever again. On that final day at the Cecil Hotel, she failed to update her family, prompting them to grow concerned enough to call the hotel staff asking if they'd check on her. Upon examining her room, Elisa was nowhere to be found, and she had never officially checked out. Oh, wow. The staff decided to look. Looks like the staff took a look at the security footage, in an attempt to locate her and, and you know get an idea where she was seen. What they found would prompt more questions than answers. The hotel wow. video showed Elisa in one of the elevators on the date of the disappearance, acting kind of strange. In the footage, uh, Lamb can be seen stepping into the elevator and pushing all the floor buttons. That's weird. Oh, that's annoying. Isn't that something that kids do? Yes, they do it, and then they run out and make it the elevator so that nobody gets on the elevator. Well, maybe that's what she wanted. Oh, but she, then she steps in and out of the elevator. She pokes her head out sideways toward the hallways like somebody's following her. She peers out of the elevator a few times before stepping out of the elevator entirely, never to be seen again. So it sounds mm -hmm. like she's like, Looking, thinking somebody's following her. And then two weeks goes by, you know, without another even a development in the case. But, case, but hotel maintenance worker Santiago Lopez began to receive complaints about the water quality. Oh, oh that's, that's not. This when, you know, <laughs> when the water quality is bad, low water pressure, strange coloring, oh. and a weird taste coming from the tap water were all reported. And he began to investigate. Oh, no. The hotel water no. tank. No. Upon enter opening the tank, Lopez sees uh, Lamb's rotting corpse. I'm drinking bottled water for the rest yeah, of the Yeah, we're life. never going to drink water from. Well, what are they doing? Okay, the Cecil Hotel has its own water supply. Oh, yeah. That's yes. kind of interesting. Um, so the rescuers try to remove Elisa's body from the water tank on the rooftop. Um, Nobody knows how the corpse got there. It's floating lifelessly next to the same clothes she wore in the surveillance video. How she ended up in the hotel's water tank, or who else might even have been involved. Well, there's got to be somebody. She didn't put herself <laughs> she in didn't there. jump in. Well, she was well, acting weird, maybe. She just, ah, and she closed, end it all. She you know closed what the lid behind her. I'm going to check out by jumping in the water tank. They didn't have a pool. Did you notice? They didn't? No. Well, they should have. Well... This could have saved a lot. Did she think it was a spa? It was. <laughs> I mean, how would she even open the door? She's a little lady. She's a young little yeah, girl. That's obviously somebody helped her into the tank. You think? <laughs> it was ruled to be impossible for Lamb to have climbed in. Yeah, yeah we determined that. And then you know, closed the door by herself. I don't think I need a degree for that. <laughs> So one of the final people to see Lamb alive is the owner of a bookstore that she traveled to prior to her death. Katie Orphan, owner Katie Orphan, oh, owner bookstore. of the last bookstore, was quoted was as saying, It seemed like she had plans to return home, plans to give things to her family members and reconnect with them. She bought things to bring back to them. Well, yeah, I think she was planning on completing her trip and seeing her yeah. family again. So she gave a detailed description of how um, Lopez gave a detailed description wait, where, of how to get to the water tank. Oh, Lopez, the, the maintenance yeah. guy. Yeah. And um, 
take the elevator to the 15th floor of the hotel before walking up the staircase to the roof. Then first turn off the rooftop alarm, which isn't he the maintenance guy? It seems to me that he seems to know. He a seems lot to know a lot about how to do all, all this. All the employees but know the alarm. This sounds code. like the solder thing. Hey, he's really involved, but uh, you know, we're really not going to do any investigating. And then you would step right here, climb up on this platform, jump in there. There's something. Turn this handle 14 times. Maybe he told her the spa was up there. Uh -huh. We have a spa. I'll I'll take you. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there's a lot to getting to this thing. And you did you finally climb another ladder to get to the top of the main tank. Oh my god. Oh, come on. In the end she was it was really <laughs> accidental. It was really, it was an accident. <laughs> she fell in so what are they saying? She, she fell, fell in. into the water tank. And closed the door. And closed the door behind her. No further pieces of evidence have surfaced. Since because they didn't look for any theorists point to the hotel's historically supernatural ties, Lamb's bipolar disorder. We didn't know about that, that's yeah. part of that, yeah. So, later, subsequent medication, uh, third party, uh, and a yeah. third party is as well. There's definitely a third party, come on. Um, Either way, I don't think we're ever going to really understand the circumstances of her death. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. So some some, some questions, some not, questions asked. not asked, and others never answered. At least not fully. Why did Elisa continue to stay at the Cecil if her interest was to tour the coast and meet people? Why not move on? Well, I think she was. These she are for was, you. Her plan was when she got there. Her plan was to move on to go to to Santa Cruz, right? Right. Uh, so did she stay there longer than she? Why did I, she stay? How long was she even there? We don't know. I don't know. If she was in contact with her family, did she tell them she was frightened or disturbed? Did they respond? If my daughter, I don't have a daughter, but if I had one, even if one of my sons called and said they were frightened or disturbed, I would be on the road immediately. Yeah. Or on a plane. Um. There's video of her trying to get on the elevator on the 14th floor. Is that the only security video of her? Did she? That's, that would they just all they announced was the last. Back in the day, I think it wasn't like elevators were the only things that. Yeah, and I mean she was probably on the elevator every day, but they just were looking to see the last. They they only looked at the last video of her, and that's the day that she disappeared. They saw her getting on the elevator. I'm sure they didn't go to look at the day she was perfectly happy because that doesn't. It's not really relevant. Who was staying on the 14th floor at this time? We don't, I don't know if that's Nobody wrong. Everybody. And no, she didn't report anything. Is this, you know, if she was frightened, did she go to the lobby and report it? No, because you know, it sounds like if she's bipolar, that is, you know, that they really should announce that should be a part of the beginning because bipolar people do react very, you know, can, they, they're they can, very yeah. up, they're very down. And yeah. so if she was, you know, having an episode, that would explain what she was doing in the elevator. But there's no way in hell that woman put herself in a water tank and shut the door on no. herself. She's a little tiny girl. Is there evidence someone like her called the police? I don't know what that would be. Um, the police did a flyover of the roof to look for evidence right after. Did they do a flyover? Yeah. Uh, did they take photos? Did they well, notice no, the they, lid had been removed? For, they, well, they it was removed and put back, wasn't right. it? I yeah, mean, they're not, not going to see anything. I mean, are you think they flew over just as she was being put in? No, I don't think they flew over just as she was being put in. This all happened very quickly. She's a tiny girl. Somebody, you know, whacked her I can't the imagine. Well, she's probably not very large, so somebody could have just carried her. Into, oh, what, what did they do? They just killed her randomly? Ah! Yeah, well, of course well, that's what killers do, I know, guess. Yeah, it's you know, and, and then to throw her in the in the uh, it kind of leads me to believe that the maintenance guy may not have done it because he would know that throwing a person in this tank it's eventually gonna it's gonna is going to be found. Yeah. I mean, and how did she know the water tank lids were removable? How did she know that there were freaking water? She tanks doesn't know. It wasn't an accident. When's the last time you went on a hotel roof? Yeah, I tried not to go up there because that's where all the stuff they don't want you to see is. Yeah. I mean, you do think if she truly is bipolar and she's truly in an episode, because they're saying, wasn't there a better place to hide in this hotel? If you really are manic and you want to hide from somebody, I can see you opening a tank and getting in. I can't see you 
closing the, the lid over yourself. And if you're trying to save yourself, you probably don't submerge yourself in water. Because, you know, they're a lot of times bipolar people. It must be, to have a latch or something because she'd be able, maybe she was dead when they threw her in there. I don't even know if the little girl like her could lift a lid. Um, there's obviously a better place to hide in a hotel. Yeah, see, that's what Was I she hiding? I mean, that's what I said. I don't think she would hide in a tub of water. If it was like a closet or something, yes, because, you know, when they, if she's pressing all the buttons in the elevator, she's looking around right. like she thinks somebody's chasing her. Yes, she would be maybe looking for a place to hide. And maybe she went up on the roof and whatever, you know, chased her, killed her, and, you know, here's a good place to stash her body. I mean, they really didn't seem like they looked very hard to see was she, you know, sexually assaulted. Right. Was, was there, you know, how was, what was her cause of death? Was it drowning? They don't tell us a lot. Yeah. Oh, the police explanations for her nudity are not convincing. I didn't. Well, what word? I, I don't know. She what was there were. with her clothes floating next to her. Is that what the deal? Um, um, she would have spent some time climbing the fire escape ladder and tank ladder and spent some time exploring the area around the tank and on top of the tank, unless she had instructions from someone. So, so her somebody scent, her scent would be on the fire escape ladder. <laughs> I don't know who came up with this one. These are things that people have written in. By the, by the way, this isn't us. <laughs> so, Does anyone know if the video of her in the elevator has been tampered with? No, of course we don't know that. We we don't know anything. Um, those are all good questions, though. Yeah. Want some answers? I would Here love they some are. answers. Here's some answers. Number one, Elisa about her. Oh, good. Okay. Elisa continued to stay there because she needed a cheap place to stay. It was only three days. Then she was off to the next city. Oh, good. Okay. okay. I don't remember what number two was. Number two was um, if she was in contact with her family, did she tell them she was frightened, etc.? Um, did I already? Nobody um, Number two was good question. We need that answer. Yeah. Anyway, there's uh, the answers here aren't exactly yeah. the tanks answers. are ten feet high. And not, think, e not they, easy to get into. But a young 20, I don't know that a young girl, um, yeah, these aren't great answers because there's, there's giant no, removable lids. Yeah. Okay. Um, I believe um, there was a special party on the roof that night. She <laughs> wait a minute. I to go. Okay. <laughs> wait a minute. This is some conjecture right Yeah, here. this is straight conjecture. We're not going to really, um, bore everyone. Well, somebody with... made up a whole little fan, like, you know how they, they do yeah. fan fiction? Um, yeah. We're going to do... We're going to do the boy in the the next story. Okay, so we're going to decide that Okay. it maybe is a supernatural thing going on at the hotel. Okay. Well, the Cecil Hotel is evil. We know that. Yeah, and we're going to, well, we may have to do, we may do a, a story on, you know, the goings on at. Well, we'll watch the rest of the next The Cecil Hotel, do some research, and we'll do a, we'll do a segment on uh, the Cecil Hotel itself. But let's visit the boy in the box. The boy in the box. Um, the yeah, last case. Uh, we're going to Pennsylvania. Spe specifically, Philadelphia, the Ivy Hill Cemetery in Cedarbrook. There's a small gravestone reading, America's Unknown Child, homage to a young victim never to be named, claimed, or forgotten. Oh, there he is. It was 1957. A young hunter sets out to check his traps. Near a park just north of Philadelphia, as he moves through the brush, he finds a tiny cardboard box lying discarded on the ground. Inside the naked body of a small boy wrapped in a plaid blanket within a discarded baby's bassinet cardboard box. Fearing that the police would confiscate his illegal traps, oh, he alerted them to the box. The way people think. I know. Uh, the young hunter ignores it and resumes hunting. Of course. Oh, of course he does. Oh, my God. Um, days later, a college student comes across the hunting ground. Yeah. Man, this should have been found a long time yeah. before this. And decides to unlock several of the traps in hopes of keeping the nearby oh, animals safe. That's you. Yeah. Nobody's going to get caught. You're not caught. trapping my raccoons, mister. <laughs> He finds the box and alerts the police. When the investigation first began, police were hopeful. Described as having blue eyes, fair complexion, and medium to light brown, crudely cut hair, his nails were neatly trimmed. He had deep bruises covering much of his body. I hate hearing that. And face. And experts believe this was due to the cold weather. Oh, the weather causes bruising? No. 
that due to the cold weather, the child may have been lying in the box between two to three days to two to three weeks. Such a young boy determined to be between the ages of four and six had to have a family searching for him. The police were prepared for fingerprint data to reveal his identity. But they were wrong. They were wrong. They were wrong. In fact, the body showed several signs of abuse and mistreatment, like I said. Cold doesn't cause bruising. No, the cold just meant he was um, preserved. With the help of x-rays, several doctors determined the child had probably been under the age of five, but he weighed just 30 pounds and stood at only 40 inches tall. According to a medical examiner, the boy in the box had the body of a child who was just over two years old. His hands and feet were wrinkled, indicating he was submerged in water for an extended time just before or after he died. When they were compared to a national database and local hospital records, no results were ever found. Though the entire city of Philadelphia and the country spread his battered face. Lovely. On over 400,000 flyers, on gas station billboards, on telephone poles, and bus stops. Thousands of leads led to no further information about the boy's identity. Sounds like his own family may have done this. You know, it's horrible. Several theories have popped up over the years. Investigators have explored the idea that the boy was a foster child who had died accidentally. Accidentally, Yeah, I don't think so. Or perhaps that he was a human trafficking victim. That seems to be a popular reason these days, even for the solder thing. Experts agree that if the case had occurred 10 to 20 years ago, national news coverage and improvements in DNA evidence would have resulted in a closed case. Either way, it's incredibly tragic that such a young boy had his life stripped away from him and that no one had had an answer for the crime. So what do you you think about that? What do you think about these stories, Deb? Oh, these stories are sad. It's Easter and it's sad. It's a sad, sad story. Well, we had to, you know, pick something uplifting for Easter, you know. Thanks for that. You know, it's like... Thank you for uh, listening to this installment of the Alien Probe Podcast. This is Doug and Deb, and you can catch us um, on Alien Probe Podcast at gmail.com, Alien Probe at Instagram, and uh, certainly uh, Alien Probe Podcast at Gmail. You can send us your questions or comments, and um, we'll gladly return them. You will remain anonymous. Thanks to Robert Anthony, our producer. See you next time.